you join me in taking up your Bibles this morning, please turn in them to the book of Hebrews. We now find ourselves beginning the 11th chapter, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We've been teaching and studying through this great book, and now we find ourselves to what has been often called the faith chapter. Please follow along as I begin reading chapter 11, verse 1 of the book of Hebrews. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you bow in prayer with me this morning? Lord God, that we would have our hearts prepared for these words of yours. More than this, Lord, we would have our minds prepared. We would ask you to institute within us a will to understand faith as you present it here in your word. Lord, we pray that you would banish the confusion that so surrounds this word faith and replace it with confidence in your word, the way in which you have declared faith to be real and true so that we might be able to reject all false forms of faith and hold truly to faith that pleases you. Please help us in this way, Lord, to follow you. We beg your help from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm calling this a new series, however, the book of Hebrews is a series itself. But in taking it in small bites as we do and, and chewing very diligently to get every bit of goodness that is there for us out and into our hearts and minds and then following it practically in our lives, it necessitates that I entitle certain sections so that we can at least have some pegs to hold things on to. I'm calling this series in chapter 11, Faith That Pleases God. What is faith that pleases God? And so this morning we are going to start what will be three pieces. What is real faith? What is real faith? Last week we finished up chapter 10. We read these words in chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The statement is brief. It's simple. Yet most of us struggle to get to what it actually means and to understand it in whole, particularly as we live what we call a life of faith. Amen? 
Some things are simply stated, but are profoundly packed with deep truth. And it is my duty to unpack it, to make it plain, and it is my prayer that God will help me teach you and myself. You see, I go to the well first and drink, and then I bring the fresh water to you as well from where I found it. So I pray that God will help us all understand and be taught by this so that we'll be standing in true, real faith and not any false forms. The just shall live by faith. There are surrounding faith so many different and differing definitions. Pistis is the Greek term. Faith is used numerous times throughout our scripture, but is also used commonly in normal parlance. When we just talk with one another, people speak of their faith, of their trust. And there are so many erroneous and false teachings that have been proffered over the centuries and, and certainly over the last number of years. There's a myriad of different things that you may have access to that claim to be definitions of faith. But in reality, many of them muddy the waters of understanding that makes it more difficult to understand faith, and many others obfuscate it in completeness so that no one can really get to what faith is. You may find yourself with two young men standing on your porch someday, knocking on your door, nicely dressed, willing to help with yard work, etc., and they have a definition of faith. They will even take you to these verses in Hebrews, one of which they like very much. Chapter 11, verse 6, we'll get there in a few weeks. And they would tell you, and they would tout faith as being a burning in the bosom. A burning in the bosom. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't help me too much in the area of definition. And worse than that, it is completely subjective. It is upon the person that is telling you about it to tell you what they think it is and you to try and stir up something like it so that you at least have that burn. Like, is it hot burn? Is it heart burn? Is it cold burn? What kind of burn are we talking about? Even the Buddhists, if you go there, and there's a major portion of the population of the world that follows the Buddhist teachings, and they uh, would bring it to us, and I'm oversimplifying, but allow me to do so, that it is a state of peacefulness. Faith in finding that peacefulness and staying there unto nirvana, whatever that is. Also, many even so-called evangelicals, some denominations within the umbrella of, of evangelicalism will sell a sort of faith that is feelings-oriented. Not all that far from what the Mormons are selling. Feelings, as that old and oft-repeated song from the 70s, you of those of you who lived through that age, you can probably sing it because you had to hear it on the radio so many times. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Yep, sometimes that's all their faith is. 
They're selling a feeling. They're selling emotions. They're presenting faith as being something that is ginned up, if you will, a sensation uh, that you can then rely on if and when you have it. Of course, the problem comes when those feelings go away. Mystics, and we don't talk about mystics so much anymore, and we should really, because mystics are those who kind of believe in believing. They like the mystical, unknown world. They like to dabble in the, the edges and the fringes of those things which are not really known, but presented by some, some even mixing with conspiracy, one might even say. But they like to lean on things like the inner prompting, in a sense, some of them will even go to a misunderstanding of a scripture that many Christians misunderstand. They look for a leading by faith in a still, small voice that will tell them what to do or what to believe or will authenticate that thing in which they're hoping to put their faith in, oftentimes a circumstance or a decision to be made and they want to step out in faith and are looking for that little voice to, to niggle its way in them and teach them. Let me remind you, there was one man in the Bible that was spoken to by the Lord in a still, small voice, and that man was a broken spirit. He was one of the greatest prophets of God, Elijah, and he had just done one of the greatest and mightiest deeds for God representing God on Mount Carmel before hundreds and hundreds of the prophets, over 400 prophets of Baal and other false prophets as well. And God had put them into his hand and shown himself strong and brought upon the altar that he had built to God and doused with gallons upon gallons of water the fire of God to consume Elijah's offering to God, proving that the one true God was the God of Elijah. Well, this man was a broken spirit after that point because after all of those victories and all the deaths of the prophets of Baal, Queen Jezebel still wanted his head and he in fear ran away and it is the Lord that then helped him. And there were earthquakes and the Lord didn't speak in the earthquake. There was a whirlwind and God didn't speak in the whirlwind, but in a still, small voice, the Lord spoke. Never try to categorize all the speakings of God into one which God did to one individual in the text of Scripture and try and make that you. Let me just say something out loud. None of us here and none of us in the sound of my voice and no Christian that has ever lived is Elijah. You cannot expect the same things he expected because he was a prophet of the Lord and God told him what to do directly and he did it. Don't forget Job was spoken to by God out of a whirlwind. Why doesn't anybody want that? That really motivated Job. We should say, hey, Lord, send me a whirlwind. Scare me to death. I'll do what you say. Some he spoke through prophets. Sometimes he spoke in various and sundry ways. And that's the very way that Hebrews begins. God, in various times and different ways and times past, past, spoke to the fathers by the prophets. 
That is not faith. Faith is also not some kind of a sixth sense that you can trust to lead you. Faith is different than that. I think it's very important with all the confusion, don't you, to find and get from God what he says faith is. And then to make that our definition and our way of life in following him. What does God actually mean when he says the just shall live by faith? The quote comes from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. By the way, Habakkuk was the prophet that kept asking God why. Why does all this punishment have to keep coming to your people? It was God that reminded him that there are those who are ungodly and they don't trust God. And then there are those who are the just who live by faith. As he had to watch his people punished by God, God reminded him that the just shall live by faith. We read in our Bibles that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We find this three times in the New Testament. We find it in Romans 4, verse 3, in Galatians 3, verse 6, and in James chapter 2, verse 23. Romans and Galatians by the Apostle Paul remind us that it's faith that is apart from works and apart from keeping the law of Moses that is the faith that God is looking for. It is James that brings this all full circle when he reminds us that this faith that is apart from keeping the law and apart from works does indeed show itself in doing works. The evidence of true faith is indeed good works. So our problem with reading all of those things and understanding what real faith is, is both what is it and what is it do. And over the next few weeks, we're going to study this chapter on faith and all of those who are presented to us in this chapter as people of faith. And we hope to come away with answers to two very important questions. And we're going to answer these two questions. What is real faith? And two, what does real faith do? What does real faith do in practical life? So I want to start this morning in answering the first question, what is real faith? And I present to you this first verse of chapter 11, because this is God's definition. Now faith is So if you want to know what faith is, you have to read on. Faith isn't just faith as a being. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, real faith, number one in your notes, real faith has a firm foundation. Real faith has under it a firm foundation. Our verse says, now faith is 
the substance of things hoped for. Let's work on that this morning. Substance. Faith is the substance. The Greek word, though probably not edifying, I'm going to say it so that you'll know it's found in these other verses that I will reference, is hypostasis. Hypostasis in the Greek. We have translated in our English in this verse as substance. It is defined this way. What is behind? So what is behind faith is substance. It's also defined as what is under, if you will, the faith that we have. The ground, if you will, of our hope. In medical terms, you'll find this hypostasis to refer to something called a crutch. What holds you up so you don't fall down when you're injured. In building terms, it's the foundation or the basic plan. And sometimes we've used this word in English, and you'll, you'll recognize it when I say this. We, we will identify a certain person, at least when we used to use more and better words than we sometimes do now. We'll say that the man is, well, he's a man of substance. And when I say it that way, now you kind of say, well, he's not just a man. He's a man of substance. There's something behind him. There's something under him. And sometimes we mean it in terms of wealth, right? He's a man of substance, meaning he has a lot of money. He has a lot behind him in the world of economics. A wealthy man. Sometimes we say he's a man of substance and that he has good character. That he's not just an empty shell. He's not just a smiling face. That behind him there is character. There is real person. There's something you can depend upon. He's a straight shooter, if you will. He has substance. Perhaps if you're a more Western term will fit, he has true grit. A man of ability. So let's put it in terms of faith. Faith that has something behind it. A wealth. A character that produces an ability. You see, faith must be based on something. Something real or true, or it is a false faith. Faith must be built upon a firm foundation. Faith has real substance. It has a basis. It has a foundation that you can then put your confidence in and find it to be reliable. When you build your house, you don't want to build your house on the sand, Jesus said. You need to build it on the rock on a firm foundation. The sands shift. That's putting faith in error. Faith must be put in a firm foundation. There was a great man in England. 
who started an orphanage that grew into a mighty ministry. A young Christian couple had come to tour the grounds and upon seeing all that the Lord had built through the ministry of this man, the young woman said to him, you must have great faith. And we all kind of understand what she meant. To get all of this done, you must have been you must have been a man with great faith to go through all that it took to go through to build this ministry for the Lord and for these orphans and see it come to this. And this man was a godly man, and a man of understanding, and he said to her, he said, Miss, he said, see that river? He said, a little faith in a strong plank will see me safely across that river. But then he said to her this, he said, great faith in a rotten plank will see me in the river. That's the key to understanding faith. I want to give you a few more examples of what faith isn't. Sometimes that helps in defining things. What faith is not. First, faith is not the ability to manipulate God. Faith is not the ability to manipulate God to make him do or to pretend to make him do what you want him to do in your life. The idea is if you believe enough and you get what you believed in enough, you've exercised faith. The health and wealth doctrine approach of some of our charismatic friends, and I do call them friends, or I do indeed hope to win them away from this position, is built upon this idea. This is a shallow, selfish faith. A faith about me and getting what I want rather than a trusting in what God wants. So it is not the ability to manipulate God by putting a great amount of effort into your believing something. Secondly, faith is not a blind leap of faith into the dark. Into the dark. Not knowing where you're going. You know, it has been said that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Why is that a saying? Because fools don't count the cost. Fools don't check where it is they're jumping to. I recall when I was in the military and Went to airborne school, and we were going to jump out of airplanes. Now, some people look at me later in life, and I tell them that's what I used to do, and they say, well, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Well, I must say to them in return, why would you ever even get on an airplane at all, and how do you know it's so perfect? 
Even to get on an airplane, you're exercising faith that the thing's going to fly and keep flying. And I used to also tell them that, you know, most accidents in aircraft happen on takeoff or landing. I'm cutting my odds in half, getting out halfway. But when we went to airborne school, they didn't take us off the bus, put us in a plane, and then kick us out the door. They trained us to trust in the method and the tools that we would use to get us safely to the ground. And then upon landing, to not get hurt. We were trained. It was not a blind leap of faith out the door. Well, I'm going to be airborne. Geronimo, hold your nose and jump. No. It was training that you then trusted. So by the time it was your turn to go out the door in a real airplane for the first time, you were ready. You trusted the system. You knew what to do what went with it went wrong. And if everything really went wrong, I knew to pray. thought that would get a laugh. So it is not, faith is not a blind leap of faith. It's knowing God and his plan. And then it'll all work out according to his plan. Thirdly, faith is not a wistful longing for something to come true. A wistful longing for something to come through, true, something that you want to happen, something you wish to take place. You know, in the face of an uncertain future, we all can get into this sometimes. Really, that's just hope for hope's sake, based on nothing. Sometimes Christians fall into this, and here's one of the errors I want to I cut the legs off of this. I want to cut the legs off of this Christian saying so that we don't use it with each other to prove we're acting in faith. The statement Christians make is this. God opened a door and I just am stepping through it. That is nonsense. And I know I just hurt somebody's feelings. I've heard it so many times in my Christian walk. I've heard it so many times as a pastor from people trying to convince me that what they've decided to do is God's will apart from any reference to God's word, his directions for life, a precept, a principle, a command, or anything, just this open door scenario. Just because there's an open door does not mean you're supposed to step through it. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. They don't look where they're going. We do not make our decisions just because the path is seemingly clear at the outset. You don't know if that's the right college to go to just because you're accepted there. You don't know that that's the right home for you to buy just because... All the financing, the bank says you could do it. I know a lot of people, the bank tells you to do something, they open the door, never go through. It shouldn't have ought to have been done. They don't always have your best interests in heart, but you're putting your faith in them, aren't you? 
You need to do your own work. It's even done in the pastoral ministry. Well, why'd you go to that church? Well, God opened the door, so we went through. Well, that's not always the wisest thing to do either. What if you don't even match doctrinally? What are you basing these decisions on? The door is open. I hope we'll purge that from ourselves. And we will look to see if this actually coincides with the wisdom of God's word to convince other people. You know, the first question I ask anybody when they tell me they're going to move and that God opened a door, and this is where it should, should be, because really what it is is they want to go where they want to go and they want the job that pays the money or they just want to change, thinking that the change is going to make everything better. Let me tell you, moving solves nothing. Going with God solves everything. I always ask them this question when they say they're going to move. I say, well, have you found a good church? You know how rarely that's answered with a yes? Why would you move yourself and your family? Why would you put them under the influence of someone who would teach them if they don't even know you can find it? Why would you do that? And why would you say God's having you do that? There might be one case in which that would work, and that's you're a called, trained pastor, and you're going there to start a good church. And even going to college. Where's your kid going to go to church? Going to this college. Why is that the place for their spiritual development? Based on what? Why would you take this job if it keeps you out of church on Sunday? You know, I think so many times I'm a, I'm a football guy. I like football. Nothing more fun to me than putting on a helmet and bashing it up. But you've got to think about professional football players and Christians, don't you? What if you get a shot at the NFL and you're a Christian? You know when you're going to play your games? The majority of them are on what day? Sunday. But yet they get out on the field and they try to tell us they're spiritual by pointing to God when they cross the touchdown line. I love football. That's a bad decision. Your spiritual health for fame. Is that not what we're talking about? Number four, faith is not simply devotion to whatever God one happens to follow. Some people will describe other, another person and say, well, he's a person of deep faith or he's very spiritual. And sometimes they'll say it about a follower of Islam, a follower of Buddha, or even of some Christians. I think we could say it in our culture to those who follow the God of, of the climate change movement, of the save the earth God. We've got to save the earth. I mean, think about it. We do have an effect and we do have a stewardship, but God has reserved that right for himself. He will destroy this earth by fire. The first one he destroyed by what? Water. The next one by fire. 
We can make it worse, but we can't destroy it. Because God's word said he's reserved it for himself. For a day called the day of the Lord. So devotion, as much as you want to have to what they call Mother Earth, is a false god and a false religion. So faith is not that. It has to have a firm foundation. Unfortunately, if faith is founded on error, you are in rebellion against God and you are then walking and putting your faith on a rotten plank that will see you in the river, flushed out into the sea of life, dead. It doesn't matter how sincerely you believe falsehoods, it will never make them true. Faith has a firm foundation. Fifthly, faith is not an adherence to a set of beliefs. Just because it's organized, laid down, put in paper, and you can repeat it, doesn't make it something you should put your faith in. It must be right, it must be true, or your beliefs are founded on nothing as well, no matter what you believe or how sincerely you believe it. Well, now since I've kicked the props out from under the crutch of the door being opened, how am I going to replace it? I'm not going to leave you crawling out of here without your crutch. I want to replace it. I want to replace it with strong legs. A healing, if you will. A growing in faith. Because now you know what it is. So let's look at faith and its firm foundation. Faith has a firm foundation. A substance. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith has to have this to be right and real faith. It has to have it as its foundation. Hear me now. Facts. F-A-C-T-S. Facts. Faith has to be based on facts. It must rest upon them. The foundation of faith is facts. We must believe what God said in his word because his word is factual. It is factual. Brothers and sisters, when God speaks, he speaks with a clear voice. God does not muddle truth. He is truth and he speaks truth. God declared, I am not a man that I should lie. As the psalmist said, all thy words are what? Truth. They're factual. You can trust them. The factual promises of God are facts. The factual commands of God. The factual prophecies of God. And even the factual narration of history throughout time are from God. They're facts. What did Paul do? You read the book of Acts. It's a fact. God even gives us the facts 
about people who aren't doing things the way they're supposed to do things, even if they're believers, God tells us the facts even of their failures. Amen? God doesn't pull the punches to save face even for his great men, which we will study, and great women, which we will study in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Just the facts and their faith. See, God speaks. Our book began, Hebrews began with this truthful fact. God. I love how he starts the book. God. Hebrews 1 verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, listen now, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds. Now this isn't the world's cosmos, this is the world's Eons, aeons of time. God made the earth and all the stars of heaven, but in this context, he's speaking of the time periods. Think on that. Time. There are some who will acknowledge that God created the heavens and the earth, put man upon them, and then stood back and let it all go to see what would happen. A deism sort of thing. He, he's, he's, he did it, but he's not involved in it. Well, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 totally undermine that belief and tell us that even the things that happen in time and the history periods of time, God created. And we're walking in those. And then if we'll look at that as the first bookend, Hebrews 1.1, and then let's go to Hebrews 12, near the end of our book, right before we get into a lot of the practicalities, there'll be some a little before this verse and many after, Hebrews 12, verse 25, we read this, see that you do not refuse him, listen, who speaks? God spoke in times past. He now speaks through his son. Be sure you don't refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Referring to Jesus Christ, the son in heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, what do you want to know something to put your faith in? It's this little, this little sentence right here. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, listen, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also what? The heavens. All of heaven. Also heaven. So if you want to know what's going to happen as a fact in the future, there it is. God spoke it. It's a fact. Therefore, I can say to everyone who thinks man will destroy this earth, I say, no, God is going to shake this. And not only this, 
the heavens. Throughout our studies, and that's why, you know, it, 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 it sometimes puzzles me while, why some pastors, some teachers will go and say, we're going to start a new series on faith, and then right away they go to Hebrews chapter 11. They haven't taught any of the previous chapters, and they say, we're going to teach on faith, and they start in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me tell you something. You'll never understand Hebrews chapter 11 by jumping in it, if you will, blind. See how I did that? You can't take a blind leap of faith even to Hebrews chapter 11. He has taken 10 chapters to get here for a reason. And the reason is God's. And sometimes we need to go back and remind ourselves where we've already been to prepare ourselves to read about these men and women of faith and what it really looks like or we'll miss it and come away just as confused as before. Amen? Remember, if you will, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, this is the warning passage that we had there in chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? God speaks through his son. God spoke in the past. He speaks. Don't refuse him. Chapter 12, verse, and then chapter 2, verse 3. Be spoken by the Lord and has confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. How do we trust the facts of God's word? God authenticated his own word by using miracles to do it. Miracles and signs and wonders. How do you know Jesus was speaking the word of God? He proved it by the signs. In Hebrews chapter 3, again, we look back in our history of Hebrews where it says in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will listen, if you will hear his what? Voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, confidence, the substance, the firm foundation of our faith is the facts of what God spoke. See, the failure of Israel when they were headed to the promised land and then were relegated to 40 years wandering in the wilderness was a failure of faith. And it was a faith that failed because it had no firm foundation in the facts. Listen, verse 16 now of Hebrews 3, by way of reminder, for who, this is Israel, having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he did he swear that, he, that they would not enter his rest? But to those who, listen, did not obey. So we see that they could not enter, they could not enter in, because of what? Unbelief. Lack of faith. 
What did Israel do? They sent spies into the land. See, this is where faith meets reality. God promised Abraham, this land that you see before you, I'm giving it to you and to your sons after you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and you will be as many as the sand of the seashore. Even kings will come from you. This is your land. And Abraham lived, and Abraham died, and all Abraham's children went into Egypt and became captives. When they came out of Egypt, Moses led them, saying, God's going to leave you back to the promised land that he promised your father Abraham. He's told me, come on, let's go. They get on the edge of the land and they send in spies to spy out the land. Twelve. And they come back. Ten of them with a report. They're giants. They're scary. They're rich. They're big. They're powerful. Better armies. Better trained. Better everything. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We can't do it. And you know what? They were right. Israel couldn't do it. Alone. They could do it because of the facts God promised to give them the land. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can take them. If God's on our side, God said it, we can do it. There is your illustration of faith. Ten rebels rebelled against the Lord and turned the hearts of Israel into weakness. No foundation to their faith. They didn't believe God's facts because they didn't believe God. They put their faith in a rotten plank. A rotten testimony by ten rotten scaredy cat men who had no faith in God. But now yet there is a promise remaining even beyond that promise of the land and fulfilling that promise of the land. Hebrews 4 verse 1, listen. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, listen, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Faith has to have a firm foundation, and the firm foundation must be the facts of God's word. The substance. Faith must have a foundation. Secondly, capital letter B in your notes. A foundation reinforced by character. It's one thing to have promises. It's one thing to have prophecy. But it's another to ask the question, who gave them? 
really it's the simple question of who do you trust in? Who do you trust? Brothers and sisters, aren't we walking in a world now where almost everything we trust in is being taken away? I mean, there used to be a time when we thought we could trust our government. We thought that they would do the best for us. We thought that we were going, this was the land of the free and the home of the brave, and that we were going to have the freedoms and we were going to keep them. Guess what? They're crumbling. We used to trust in those entities that were designed to protect us, like the FBI and the CIA. And now all that we're hearing about them doesn't build our trust in them. It undermines us. The old song, sometimes I feel like somebody's watching me, is true. Even the technological companies are selling our information. We can't trust in that. And then this last year, how many banks failed? What, where did we used to go to keep our money safe? They used to say, don't put your money in a mattress. Let it work for you. Give it to us at the bank. It's safe here. And bank after bank after bank fails, and then it's being artificially propped up by your tax dollars, Well, and more so the loans of our government that they're borrowing from this country and that country, and then those same countries are borrowing from us, and they're borrowing back and forth, and the money's trading, and, and I'm saying, hmm, can we even trust our money? See, brothers and sisters, we have someone to put our faith in that no one believer has. We have God who made the worlds, who made the ages, who has spoken to us things that we can trust in today. And we trust in those promises because they are undergirded, they are reinforced by character. Remember when we said a man of substance? Well, a man of substance just of wealth and has no character, has no substance to his character. But a man who is honorable and has integrity, he has substance to his character. And our God is the only one that fits that description. Our faith is the substance. So when you say faith, it's not in nothing. It's in everything that God said and it's in everything that God is as God, his character. Who can you trust? Well, some people say, well, I trust in myself. The only person I trust is me. Well, you know what I have to say about that? Good luck with that. I've tried trusting in me and I fail myself. Please, may I have an amen. So our faith is not in our ability to have faith. If your faith is in the ability for you to strongly feel enough faith, you have already fallen. It's just a matter of time till the right stumbling block comes and your faith will shatter. But if your faith is placed in that strong plank God because of who he is, then it has a firm foundation. The substance behind faith is God. And we can trust him. 
the beginning of our book of Hebrews again. God now has spoken to us by his son. Verse 3 says, Who, this son of God, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things. Listen, and upholding all things. Are you listening? And upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself, not with your help, by himself purged our sins Sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Is your salvation secure? It is if you base it not on your faith that you placed at some time, at some moment, in some message you heard, even if it was about Jesus, but rather that your faith is built upon the declaration that Jesus purged your sins completely. And sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He made God visible and saved us from our sins. He's the express image. The express image of God means the same thing as substance. It's the same Greek word, hupatasso. Who is the substance of God? Jesus. What is the substance of our faith? Jesus, through God. Hebrews 3, 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. Listen. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You can hold fast to the end when your faith's foundation is in the facts of God's word, his scripture. And it's reinforced by the person of God himself whom we can trust. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I can trust it. Thy word I've hidden in my heart. I would sin not against you. Trust, faith. Can we join Paul in saying this? We sang it this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Can you say this? I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's faith. 
with a firm foundation in the one who will keep his promises. Let's pray. Father, we find ourselves like the disciples before Jesus. And we say with those disciples, we believe. And then we say again with them, help our unbelief. What we really mean, Lord, is help us have faith rightly placed upon your word and you. It brings about our promise of salvation that you gave us. For as many as believed on him were saved. We believe. Help our unbelief. And Lord, you have said that you are coming again to set up your kingdom and we say we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, you say you are going to rule in righteousness and we will reign with you and we say we believe. Help our unbelief. Over the next few weeks, Lord, we pray you help our unbelief so that our faith would be rightly placed in you. Not in ourselves or in others, but you and your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Join me in saying, Amen. Amen.